Welcome to another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, everybody. I'm Kara Porvoff. So most weeks, Kara and I uh, read a parenting book that we think reflects the values of, of radical parenting, um, prime directive parenting, really honoring our children uh, and being their, their partners and guides as they grow. Um, this, this week is, is the same. We read a book this week. Uh, I'll show it on my screen called The Yes Brain by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. Uh, and I have to say that this is my, Karen and I haven't really talked about it yet, but this is my favorite book we've read. I mean, I've loved every book we've read. I'd say probably the Janet Lansbury one would be my favorite up until now, 10 episodes later, actually, 10 mm-hmm. books later. Um, this is my new favorite book. If I were to say, if you were to only read one parenting book, uh, I would recommend this one. I just thought it was so great and just hit on everything we've talked about. I mean, it hit on everything we've talked about in the in the 10 plus episodes we've done of this podcast. I really loved it. What do you think? Yeah, it covers a lot. It covers a lot. Um, I, I really, really liked it. I love that it's science-based, you know, and um, Dan Siegel, he's... Um, not just a parenting guy, but he's, you know, like a neuroscientist. I think he does all kinds of brain stuff. Yeah. And um, Tina Payne Bryson is a you know, developmental psychologist and parenting expert. And so it's sort of this combination of like brain science and parenting all put together. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a new book. It's based on like kind of the latest research. Uh, they wrote another book called The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline. Um, Someone had recommended to me The Developing Mind from, from Dan Siegel a long time ago. So that was one of my, it was already sitting in my Audible. And when this book was over, I actually listened to this book twice because sometimes wow. I can be a little distracted as I'm, as I'm listening. And I got so much out of the chapters four and five. I was like, there's, I know there's more for me also in chapters one, two, and three. So I went back and listened to those three chapters again. And then I moved on back to The Developing Mind, <clears throat> which I had started a long time ago, but it's the thickest book I've ever even tried to read or listen to. I think the audiobook is over 24 hours long. Um, wow. it's, a, it's a long book. Um, and, uh, and so I'm listening to that again, too. But the point is, is that these are, yeah, it's very science-based. These people have a deep understanding of developmental psychology and how children's brains work. And Again, it's my it's my favorite. So, whatever bones Kara has to pick with it, we'll 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 go through those too. Yeah. Um. So, kind of at the core, I don't I, I don't know if you want to try and introduce it or if you want me to just uh, maybe talking about the what is it the four fundamentals of the yes brain. Yeah, and we could even talk about like what are they talking? What is the yes brain? <clears throat> yeah. Basically, they're they're talking about. They don't really, I don't know that they ever say polyvagal theory in the book. Maybe they, they do. do. Yeah. They mentioned Peter Levine, right? But they're talking about... It's Stephen um, Porges' idea. Peter Levine writes That's. About it, thank but, you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, they're talking about the states of our autonomic nervous system. They don't use dorsal vagal and ventral vagal and all that stuff. They talk about the, the green zone, which is the safe and connected. That was ventral vagal. Did you the read- red zone, which is we, when we get activated and we get into fight or flight. And then we can, there's another zone called the blue zone, that that's sort of the new one where the blue zone is, it's kind of a mix of both. There's like a lot of 
activation from the sympathetic nerve, nervous system, that fight or flight energy, but there's also this like deactivation energy. Mm-hmm. And that's the dorsal vagal where that goes into shutdown, freeze, and fawn mm-hmm. kinds of states. Mm-hmm. And so they're talking about the green zone is when we're in that green zone, that's the yes brain. So they talk a little bit about the no brain at the beginning of the book, which is, um, you know, being reactive and, and, and um, in that. And shutting, shutting down and control and yeah. Yeah. So either reactivity or shutdown, red zone and blue zone, and, and that we need those states. Those are, you know, survival mechanisms and that we also want to be able to get back to the green zone. Mm-hmm. And that's where the yes brain is. And they talk about resilience, balance, insight, and empathy. There's like a big fat chapter on each one of those mm-hmm. um, going into how to um, h- help our kids develop skills in all those areas. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. So I pulled up a graphic while you were talking. Sorry if it was distracting right. for anyone, but they talk about, yeah, the prefrontal cortex, what they call the upstairs brain. Um, which is where planning and thinking and imagining and and sympathy and and even even um, you know morality and and all that exists and then the kind of lizard brain which they call the downstairs brain with um, anger and the four fundamentals of the of the yes brain that's these empathy resilience balance and insight so do you want to just talk a little bit about about each of those so. Balance was way back at the beginning of the book, and I'm not remembering that it that well. Yeah, we can go through their little bullets. This is the refrigerator sheet I'm kind of thumbing through um, uh, that you guys can see, uh, talking about that red zone and green zone and blue zone. They also talk about the volcano in a way that, um, that, that kids could a little bit more easily understand and noticing what's, what's taking us into the red zone or, or even to the blue zone. Um, but yeah, here's the kind of bullets there around, uh, yes brain versus no brain. Uh, so we can just read a little bit about this yes brain. Yes brain is flexible and curious and resilient, trying to, willing to try new things, open to the world, uh, develops this internal compass, which we've been talking about in so many of the books we've read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No brain is more reactive and fearful, um, focuses on external achievements, not internal intrinsic rewards. Um, these are the kind of well-behaved, obedient, uh, kind of kids. And, uh, that's not what, that's not what they're aiming for here with the, with the yes brain work. So balance is first. Um, you want to just talk about this, Kara? Yeah. And I think, um, it's, they're really just describing this state of being of like feeling calm and in control and, and in the green zone and able to find the green zone um, and feeling, you know, like happy and stable a, a lot of the time. Yeah. But that's, that's what we're wanting for our kids, right? Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of our radical parenting colleagues in the radical honesty community recently wrote uh, a lot about connection and separation of like, being there with your child in a way that your child knows that you're there with them. It's one of their like kind of mantras is like, I'm here with you, you know, like no matter what your kid is going through, that's kind of one of the, 
one of their mantras, but also just this healthy separation where when they get upset, you can be with their upset without also getting upset. When they're anxious, you can be there and you can totally empathize and sympathize with their anxiousness and not get anxious yourself. And they then learn how to have this observer role for themselves that acknowledges, look, I'm, I'm anxious. Look, I'm upset. And it's okay. And I can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I really loved that discussion about being differentiated. And there's some way of like, if we get too involved in, in their emotions, it takes the focus off of their inner experience. And it's sort of like going into our, our fears and worries and and stuff like that. So the more regulated we are and have this differentiation of like, you know, I have my feelings, you have feelings and, and it is a balance. Yeah. Uh, so then the next three, um, were resilience insight and, uh, and empathy. So resilience still real, I think really does relate to, to balance. It's, it's expanding that, that green zone, which you talked about, you wanted to talk about also expanding yeah. your, your tolerance for, I mean, in a way that's what expanding your green zone is. It's, it's, getting nearer and nearer the red zone and not falling into it. Yeah. I think that it's so, this is so much the work that we do in radical honesty is about expanding the green zone where we go to those places that are, are intense and scary and we're willing to just totally um, experience what's there. And we find out that it's not as scary as we thought usually. Or that even if we're going into some like really deep grief or pain that we can handle it and that we can go all the way through it and get to the other side of it. It's not the end of the world. Um, We can just open and open and open and our heart never breaks. It's, we can just keep opening. And um, I know my green zone has expanded a lot in, in that way of like when it comes to you know conflict or discomfort or whatever that it's not so scary it's still uncomfortable and um so that's what we want for our kids is that um and, and I think this this is one of the bones that I have to pick actually is like if we're too afraid of the red zone then it's that that's a problem i i think that we're we can't expand our green zone if we're like terrified of ever going to the red zone Mm -hmm. we have to be willing to go there you know in a way where we don't like completely lose control and go into like physical violence or things like that but that we we do have to be willing to follow uh, both yeah I I mean, I'd say for your child, it's a little different. Like I'm with you. I think like we have to be occasionally even okay with them going into that zone. It's, it is developmentally appropriate for them to, to kick and hit and stuff. And it doesn't mean it's not a teaching lesson where, you know, opportunity, but it's not the end of the world that most kids are going to do that. Yeah. And, and learning this resilience thing, I, it reminds me of, um, I just finished this online course that's all about, you know, self-regulation and then co-regulation with, with our children. And they talk about mobility, 
that we, we want mobility. That's what we want, is we want to be able to move between the, the states and, or the zones and not get stuck anywhere or not get like reactively off, you know, off into the red zone and not be able to get ourselves back. So we want this, the resilience I think is mobility could be another way to talk about that. Of like, it's okay if we go to the red zone, we know what to do, we can work our way through it. Yeah. So I have a couple clips I'm going to try and play from the audiobook. We've never actually done this before. We've read off of the screen. Um, we haven't, um, we haven't uh, played off of the uh, audiobook, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give it a shot for this one. And uh, here's a clip I really like relates to this idea of accepting these feelings. Uh, this idea of the red volcano, maybe I'll pull up the image of the red volcano while we're listening to this, we'll go full screen. So this is, this is, this is all talking about resilience. This is, I think, uh, uh, Daniel Siegel. There's nothing wrong with getting upset. That's an important point we want to communicate to kids. It's good and healthy for them to feel their feelings, even and maybe especially strong ones, and to express them. This is true of uncomfortable, bad feelings, as well as for comfortable, good feelings. And the nervous system arousal that results from these strong feelings is perfectly fine as well to be aware of and even to express to others or oneself. In fact, it's really helpful to be open and not try to stifle internal responses because that arousal is what alerts us that we're beginning to climb the mountain and move toward eruption. The increased heart rate, shallow breathing, and tight muscles are important warning signs we need to pay attention to, and they can help us if we are in a survival situation. So we want kids to know that it's good to experience emotions, to be open to whatever their body is experiencing. But we want to help them develop the insight to recognize when their sympathetic nervous system is increasing arousal and driving them up the red volcano. This recognition is what will provide the powerful pause between stimulus and response. So that's what they're talking about. They're like, we honor these feelings. We honor all of it. We don't stifle it. But what we do introduce is this pause where instead of going to the normal knee-jerk reaction, the normal kind of, kind of auto-programmed reaction, we pause, we reflect on these feelings, we really feel them, and then we introduce choices. And that's kind of our job as parents is to introduce all those choices. Yes, you can kick the wall. Yes, you can run away. Here's some other choices. And then over time, not something that a two-year-old or a three-year-old is going to necessarily grasp, but over time, they recognize, yeah, some of these choices work out better for them than, than others. So yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the clip I wanted to play about, about this right. topic, this resilience topic. And he's also talking about the, the third big topic, which is insight which is that the awareness of, that awareness I, I think is one of our biggest tools to be resilient, right? Is that the self-awareness of like, okay, I'm getting activated and to help our children notice the sensations that are happening and to, I guess the red volcano is one place I got a little stuck with the book. I, I don't know that he says this or maybe I'm just worrying that, that um, more sort of mainstream conventional parenting thinkers 
will hear that and think, okay, my job is to stop before I get to the peak of the red volcano and like back it up. And I think what he's really trying to say is that, or at least this is what I believe, is that like you do actually have to go through it to get to the other side. There's no like stopping it in its tracks, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have to complete the response. I don't, I don't know who, what like polyvagal theorist says that, but we can't, we can't pretend to be unactivated when we are unactivated. Mm -hmm. We can, but that's not true green zone. Yeah. Right. So like I, those choices are, I guess I think there's a danger of it becoming too much of an intellectual thing where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just going to stop and be rational here and mm -hmm. not be reactive. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we have to be reactive in some way that's not going to hurt ourselves or anybody else to complete the response and get that activation out, whether it's movement or jumping up and down or singing or pushing on the wall as hard as you can or with kids, we, you know, we, we're not necessarily yelling, but it's okay with me if my daughter yells at me. I try not to yell at her, obviously. And that we want to have these, these choices available to where we can, we're not trying to stop the activation or go up into our heads about it. We're like being fully in that, that energy and, and moving or singing or playing. Um, one, one of the things I want to do another podcast on is going to be about therapeutic play where it can be, you know, pillow games where you're really like smushing each other. Right. And you're getting that like physical, you know, I guess what I'm, my, my main complaint now that I'm like talking this all out with you is that I think it has to be, there has to be a, a big physical part to the process because it's, our bodies that need to move through that, mm -hmm. those states to get over, that it's not necessarily going to be as rational as, as how it sounded to me in the book. And I don't know that that's what the authors really mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great point, but I, I think what they were talking about in terms of kind of pausing is less about interrupting or distracting ourselves from any of those feelings, but it's just like, often we aren't aware of ourselves getting agitated and and everything and and we just we we do these things subconsciously that only heighten our our agitation and arousal right. and uh we don't do any of the things that are that are like whatever polyvagal system or, or uh, you know autonomic nervous system would need to calm ourselves down hand on heart hand on stomach uh, any kind of pausing, we are just in it. And then we don't really realize that we're so agitated and triggered until, until we're, until the amygdala or the HPA axis has totally taken over. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think what he is saying is that like, if you start noticing the, that, that, that tension in your stomach, or you start noticing that increased heart rate, or you start noticing shakiness or whatever, you can pause and notice those things in ways that, that honor them, let them be there, let you still feel agitated, but don't just kind of put it on this, uh, you know, what is that when you put a microphone next to a speaker or whatever, like a feedback, feedback. loop? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. 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 
I like, I really like the way you just said all that. It's like we're pausing in order to be able to bring in our awareness and our noticing so that we can really be with that, be in the experience as it's happening and not getting sort of like flooded. Yeah. And I think these four things, I mean, the first chapter is just an overview of the yes brain. Second chapter is just about balance. Uh, the third chapter is just about resilience. The fourth chapter is about insight. And, for, and then the fifth chapter is about, um, is about empathy. We're going to talk more about these last two. But for me, everything just really did kind of bleed together. I had a little bit yeah. of trouble with the distinction, um, especially balance and resilience yeah. really overlapped. Resilience and insight really overlapped for me. Insight and, and empathy really overlapped for me. So I'm going to play another clip again from the from the book. I think this time it's now Tina Payne Bryson um, reading, and she's talking about kind of this overlap between insight and and empathy. And she's one of the things I love about this is she's also talking about what our last episode was about. I don't know if people are watching this in order, but so let's just listen really quick. When they watched movies, they would occasionally pause the film to ask questions like, "Why do you think Travis got sad when Old Yeller started acting so differently?" This actually isn't the clip I thought it was, but we're going to listen to this one anyway. This one's just more about empathy. So she's okay. just talking about how, like in our children's book, uh, where I have all these books that are aimed at empathy, I think Carrie even mentioned this, like you don't need children's books aimed at empathy. You can just, you can just ask, what do you think he's feeling? What do you think she's feeling? So this is some practices that parents were doing with a child that was kind of struggling with empathy skills, where instead of getting scared, oh my God, our son is a sociopath. Uh, they just start doing these practices. What do you think he should do? What's the right thing here? Simply by drawing awareness to characters' emotions and motivations, they helped Devin move outside of himself and realize that the people on the pages and the screen had their own subjective interests and considerations that were quite apart from his own. From there... And so, like, here's an image um, where it says, like, what we see is something like this kid pushing this kid down, but what is really being communicated, and this is almost comical, <laughs> but, but, but I really like it. I need skill building when it comes to empathy. I saw something very much like this of my nephew. He just turned 16. His name's Tyler. I talked about him a few times on this podcast. I saw him at his birthday party once when he was like six or five or something, push another kid down. And I remember being so scared that he was, like a sociopath or that something was wrong with him. I just got like tears in my eyes thinking about yeah. it. I mean, I, I loved, I love my nephew and I wanted him to be reading these empathy books and building these skills. And that had gotten kind of interrupted uh, and to some extent by my sister um, saying I kind of overwore wore out my welcome a little bit with, with my co-parenting as a brother. And, uh, and then I stopped reading him these empathy books. And then I see him do this. And I remember being so scared. And I wish this is how I had interpreted it. You know, I just need some skill building when it comes to empathy. And Tyler, my nephew is just like the most conscientious, like sweet kid. Now he's just so sweet. I mean, he's a young man. He's not even a kid. And there's, this is, this is normal. This is what kids do yeah. when they're, when they're kind of figuring everything out. So I'm going to keep yeah. going with Tina Payne Bryson. It was easy enough to ask similar questions about the lives of real people. Ms. Azizi got upset more easily than usual during class today, huh? I wonder what might have happened to her this morning before school. In simple conversations during normal, everyday interactions, 
Basic questions like, why do you think Ashley is feeling sad? How can we help? Build the scaffolding for an increased sense of mind sight, morality, and an awareness of the minds of others. Good. So that's it for that clip. And that also hits on, sorry, who was the, who was the book that we read, the, the male author? Um, Alfie Cohn. Yeah, Alfie Cohn. I, what she yeah. just said there just like really reminded me again of, of Alfie Cohn and what the kind of work that, that I think he, he recommends also. But here's the, here's the, clip, that, here's the clip that I meant to play. Okay. Integration made visible is kindness and compassion. The other decision Devin's parents made to help guide him toward being more empathic was to allow him to experience his own negative emotions. As you've heard us stress repeatedly throughout the book, the point is not to create a version of your child that you want to see develop, but to allow each individual child to develop into him or herself. Building an empathic brain is about giving your kids more skills, not turning them into who you want them to be. We've talked a good bit so far about the problems that result from overprotecting kids, which keeps them from learning the lessons and resilience that come with disappointment, frustration, and even defeat. Bubble wrapping kids also prevents the full development of empathy, which often emerges directly from having experienced negative emotions themselves. Each time Devin's parents allowed him to feel sad or frustrated or disappointed instead of immediately distracting him or rushing in to fix things, his potential for empathy grew since his own struggles opened up space within him to understand and identify with the pain of others. His parents sat with him and supported him in his pain, of course, but they didn't deny or distract him from his feelings since they knew how important, instructive, and even healthy negative emotions can be. Yeah, I just love that clip. I think that message is so important. I'm in the middle of a kind of a custody dispute with my the mother of my son and anything I say that kind of goes in this direction, uh, she's she's just so scared of, you know, she's so scared of mm. like neglecting our son or or letting him touch a fire and burn his hand or something, uh, those uh -huh. sorts of things. And um, and just like my whole ideas around non-interference, you know, are just like so scary to her. And she's used them in, in courts and stuff uh, against me. And, and I'm just, I'm going to keep doing it. I just know it's not, it doesn't help our kids to bubble wrap them. And, and again, like I've talked about my sister, Emily, I think she's one of the best parents I've ever seen. And it's just so natural for parents, especially parents who are just, you know, so into parenting to just want to protect their kids from everything and do everything for their kids and be so focused on their kids' needs and so immersed in providing for their kids. And it's doesn't, it's, it's not intuitive that that harms our kids. Yeah. It actually doesn't protect them. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, it does. It goes back to the Batman podcast um, that you mentioned. It's like, um, it robs them of their chance to learn their own, get their own balance and learn their own thing. Like, was it, did we talk about it on one of our shows? The, the, I can't remember where this came from, but there was this funny story about uh, some play space where the, the 
the director of the space wouldn't let parents in because he said the kids were fine. They would be climbing trees and doing all kinds of risky stuff, but they would know their own limits and they would do, they might stretch their limits a little bit, but they wouldn't do anything crazy until the parents came. And when the parents came, that's when the kids would get hurt because they would either be trying to disprove their parents or they would be, you know, distracted by their parents interrupting them in the middle of something and fall or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that. Did we talk about that? No, we didn't. Show? We didn't talk about that. Um, I'll have to figure out where that came from. But it's like, they really, like a kid doesn't walk up to a fire and touch it. But mm -hmm. guess what? They actually don't do that. Mm -hmm. They can actually feel that it's hot. And they might get close enough and feel, oh, that's really hot. Like no kid is going to go up and stick their hand in a fire. But the child who would be most likely is the child who has been like so far kept from a fire their whole life that yeah, they, right, that right. they just don't, yeah, that they don't know about that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I want and like my maybe a wood test. stove is different because it's not really hot until you touch yeah. it. But that's actually not true. It's really hot. Yeah. When you get close enough. Yeah. And I, the, one of the important things too is like, I, don't want my child to look at me as, you know, we all on some level want to be just like a superhero to our kids, but I don't want my child to look at me as the source of his, I mean, at the beginning, I have to be, you know, they, the, the four S's were like safety, you know, soothing, I don't remember exactly what they were, but at some point, as soon as possible, I want my child to be his own source of like confidence and strength and, and knowledge and just that he knows he can, or she, in my case, he can navigate the world and can be just like adept and adventurous and brave. And it's not because I'm there holding his hand. It's because he has so much capacity in his own chest uh, to do that. And I would, I would say it's, we are there and we are going to protect our kids, but we're not there doing it for them. So let's take like a big long set of stairs and like a baby who's crawling and has never been around stairs before. You're not going to just be like three rooms away. Like, okay, I guess whatever happens, happens. The baby mm -hmm. might fall down the stairs, but you can see you, you watch, I mean, and you, you find out what are they able to do? Mm -hmm. And you're right there maybe with a hand in case they fall without actually touching. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I would say maybe start at the bottom of the stairs. And then it's like, like I remember when my daughter was first starting to get up and down stairs before she could even walk. And it was like, I could be right there so that like nothing terrible was gonna happen, but she was free to explore how could she actually you know, get up and down and, yeah. and she could, and I could see if I was actually paying attention, what she could and couldn't do so that I could protect her and give her a maximum freedom to do what she was able to do. Yeah. Which is changing all the time. Right. So it's hard to keep up with. At first. Yeah. yeah. When I helped my niece learn to ride a bike, I loved, I just like held the back of her neck and I jogged alongside her as she rode a bike. So no training wheels, no nothing. And it's such an easy way to like balance, you know, if she's falling off balance, just holding her neck. And, you know, I, I tend to want to let them 
go as much as possible. So I'd want to kind of like keep my hand off. And several times I loved it. She would just grab my hand and like put it right on the back of her neck so that I could grab her again. And I just, I love that, that it's like, she's asking for it. If she wants that guidance and that, that balance that I can provide, then I want to provide it. But anytime where she's just adventuring and just trying it herself, I want to give her, you know, sometimes I don't even want her to know that I'm there about to catch her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's helpful for them to know that you're there about to catch them. So And it's uh, like we're not gonna go bring our kid to like a busy road to teach them how to ride a bike. Right. But we are gonna like let them fall yeah. down and skin their knee if an accident happens, you yeah. know. So there's this juggling, I feel like. And a lot of the time, and one of the things they get into in this in this book, and I'm gonna play another clip about it, a lot of the times when parents are unwilling to do that, it's because they haven't dealt with their own stuff they they can't handle the negative feelings that they have and they can't handle their child feeling negative feelings that put a mirror up to some of their feelings that aren't integrated and 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 uh, resolved in their own you know heart um so i'm going to play this is actually from chapter four but i think it's like a good conclusion of the book altogether uh so i think this is uh, uh dan siegel and is really clear on the answer absolutely not sorry so he's just saying if you're if you were parented by a kind of dysfunctional parent are you doomed to be the same kind of dysfunctional parent yourself and he says no no you're not doomed to be it here goes yes the way we were parented obviously influences the way we view the world and how we come to parent our children but what's even more important than the specifics of what happened to us is how we've reflected on and made sense of our own childhood experiences. When we gain clear insight into our memories and how the past has influenced us in the present, we become free to construct a new future for ourselves and for how we parent our children. The research is clear. If we make sense of our lives, we free ourselves from the prison of the past and gain insight that helps us create the present and future we desire. So one of the things that Kara and I have done a lot with Radical Honesty workshops, I think it only really happens in the eight-day workshops, but at the end of the seven and eight-day workshops, uh, people kind of tell their life story. And Dan Siegel in this, in this book, in the Yes Brain, talks about how people who haven't integrated you know, some of the trauma from their past um, really struggle to do that. They, they, they can't really tell their life story in a cohesive way. They get kind of like distracted going down kind of rabbit holes they have a lot of cloudiness so uh he just he talks about that and he also talks about what he calls and this might be an actual term it might not just be something he calls post-traumatic growth um where a lot of us are familiar with the with kind of post-traumatic stress disorder and 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 unresolved traumas where when something then triggers some kind of unresolved you know trauma from our past our brain will just do anything to avoid that happening again. Our, our brain will just really react and go straight to our lizard brain, just saying like, you know, it's how it's built. You know, it's like we get, we get bit by a snake and the rest of our lives, our brain is just like, no, you see one of those snakes and you freak out, you know, you stomp on it, you run, whatever fight or flight uh, uh, your amygdala decides is right for you. But, you know, most of our life isn't like that. And, and in radical honesty, we learn how we spend so much of our life avoiding 
a metaphorical snake bite and the pain we cause ourselves is a thousandfold worse than than the snake bite would be and that doesn't mean you necessarily let yourself get bit by the snake either but we don't realize how we're kind of just driven by that and so he talks about how with your kid you can as as they're nearing that volcano and something has happened you can like watch them have this post-traumatic growth and he says it's just like very distinct from from when you just have unresolved trauma and you're just like in shock from some experience where you've paused and you've reflected on this thing that's just happened you acknowledge these feelings you maybe even get to a point where you can focus on choices and yeah he, he refers to that as post-traumatic growth so it is an opportunity for us to you know, one of the things that, that I've, I've been watching, I just, I want my child to learn how to swim. And one of my exes did the like infant thing where like, even at six months, your kid can learn to, to turn over onto his back and, or her back and float and be able to breathe. And, um, <clears throat> and several like teachers who teach children swimming and even infant swimming, you know, there's a debate back and forth because they're like, if the kid is crying or if the kid is at all coughing or choking on water, it's a horrible thing. They're going to hate the water or whatever. Um, but some of the other instructors have said, no, we know the difference. We know when they are, you know, really triggered. And when they, when they're, when they're just a little uncomfortable because they're supposed to be, because it's a new situation and there's still like a learning opportunity. We know the difference between that and, and when it's just a traumatic experience for our kid that they're not in a learning space anymore. Mm -hmm. So I've been really watching a lot of videos and excited about about that. Um, drowning is actually like the number one cause of death for kids like under four or something. And it's just so Super mad. Scary. Yeah. And it's so, it's crazy that more kids don't, don't learn that skill. And it's because we're, it's partly because we're just so afraid of learning that skill involves a couple of times where you aspirate water and cry and cough. You know, it, 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 it involves being a little scared sometimes It you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm still not, I'm still not prepared to do it certainly on my own, but, yeah. uh, but it really plays into that. So the point is, is that one of the steps to being the parents we want to be is, is looking at these areas where you're watching your kid be uncomfortable with something and you want to intervene. And then you just like reflect, is this something from me that is this holding a mirror up to something that I'm not ready or able to accept or am I really just trying to help my child or is there anything I'm trying to avoid yeah, such right. a great growing opportunity for us <laughs> like nothing else right uh, yeah yeah that that last little part of the clip that you played it reminded me so much of the you know the life planning work that we do in radical honesty where it's like once we complete our sort of resolve our past trauma then we have all this kind of openness and creativity and energy to like be creative in our lives instead of reactive in our lives. And that's what we want for our kids, right? And it's like, I see with my daughter how, you know, traumatic things can happen. You know, for, for her, it would be very, very minor traumas so far. And we can, we can handle it right then and there. It, and it doesn't then have to be in her backpack until she's 30 and she's in therapy or whatever. Something as simple as like, um, you know, the last time she went to the doctor's office and got shots was super traumatic for her. She didn't want to do it. Um, I like stopped the nurses at one point and was like, stop, she's not ready. You know, I don't want to do it this way. And um, we talked about it so many times after that. 
just describing what happened and just just describing it. And then she plays all the time about with giving shots with her little doctor tools and stuff to her stuffed animals, to me, to herself, and will play and pretend that it really hurts and stuff like that. And so what I imagine we're doing is like working through that trauma totally. so totally. it's not sticking around. Yeah. And you know, I'm not gonna like give her a sticker if she doesn't cry or something. <laughs> she mm -hmm. gives a shot, it's gonna be like, yeah, it hurts. And you don't want a needle going in your skin. Um, so, um, yeah, all that empathy for her. And then she gets to build that process of, of doing that too, you know, of it's okay to go back and revisit something that was uncomfortable and revisit it a few times probably and integrate it. And there's some, and I'm not in control of that and she's not in control of that, but there's some mm -hmm. integration that's happening along the way. It's great. I'm listening to you. I'm just feeling like kind of jealous and sad that I don't get to do that with my son. I know it'll, I know it'll come, but uh, I only right now mostly get like 15 minutes a day with him to like read him books and, and he's only a little over nine months, so there's so his integration isn't isn't like Elsie Jane's. But today, for the first time, and again, most of the stuff I just have to guess at because I get so little time with him. But he was kind of crawling up on the table, and this is a little off topic from the S brain, but he was crawling up at the table and was looking at a plant um, that's on the table, and he's just going like this, you know, just like shaking his head. And you can't be sure, but I'm a hundred, I'm 99% sure that like his mom has told him, you know, like he's very rough, you know, he's like, he just, sorry, he just smashes things with his hands and, and he's not a, a delicate gingerly child. So I, I'm, I'm sure she has said, you know, like we don't touch this plant. And so he crawls up and he looks at it and he just like set, he knows that he's not. He's like to, telling himself. Yeah, he's it. telling himself. Don't touch it. No, this is the rule with this thing is I'm not supposed to touch it. And, and then he did the same thing with the iPad because most of the time while I'm talking to him, his mom or his sister, or whoever's facilitating me reading a book to him, just tells him, no, don't touch that. Don't touch that iPad because he turns it off and hangs up on dad and whatever. Uh -huh. um, and so he does the same thing. Sometimes he looks at the iPad and he says, no, and it took me a while to get it. But I think that's, I think that's what it is. I think, and I just hope there's so few of those no's in his life, you know, because honestly, even with the iPad, I want him to turn it off. Like I want him to just do whatever the heck he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I get that you can't, you can't always do that, but um, but I'm going to try and set up my house, like the Montessori schools and like the other places. Uh, Brad's son, I guess, does a lot of work uh, on um, safe space and creative places and tinkering places, making those spaces work. He didn't want to do the podcast, but I'm just going to learn all I can about that so I can just set up my space because eventually it'll make it'll be good for him to hear no and to understand that there are some areas where he can just go hit everything with his hands and some areas where he can't. But I want him to feel so free to follow his folly. I want him to feel so free. You know, his heart is so pure. It's not, he's not trying to hurt anyone or break anything, you know? Like, and when he's, when he's just trying to, like, experience the world, I want him to experience the world and not to be looking for all these 
things telling him not to, or what's the appropriate way and what's the inappropriate way until he can really grok that. I'd want, I want him to just have yeses in his brain. Yeah. They need just like hours of that every day, you mm-hmm. know, of free exploration. And that actually reminds me of the very ending of the book, which was one of my favorite parts where Dan Siegel is talking about, um, some educational stuff. I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but he talks about this sort of cultural phenomenon we have of like kids getting into this like really intense um, educational grind of like taking a million AP classes and like not getting enough sleep because they're like writing papers or whatever. And I see this with my, my I teach violin lessons and my a lot I would say every single one of my students who's in high school, I just, my heart is breaking for them because they, they, there is no balance in their life. It's like they're doing probably 10, 12, 14 hours of school every day. And of course, you know, the people who are playing violin well into high school are probably some of the most kind of high achievers. So, you know, he talks about that, um, play is what develops the brain Mm -hmm. you know and that doing traditional Mm -hmm. school stuff is and and having building up your resume of all these like pointless things to get into some like highfalutin college or whatever that that's not actually building a you know a resilient insightful empathetic brain it's not actually building like the humans that we want in the world yeah and like truly free play is is part of the goal they talk about that being like built into our our lizard brains and that it's not just that it encourages cooperation and whatever is kind of obvious with play but that it is like essential to developing imagination and and yeah and your your the mind's you know mental development just free unstructured playtime is really important. Yeah, which doesn't even, it's not even like, that's not like doing puzzles or coloring mm-hmm. in coloring books or any of that stuff. It's like taking the weirdest stuff and doing yeah. the weirdest stuff with it. And like, totally. that's what they're great at, you know? I mean, yeah. I'm biased because my daughter's in that age right now of like real imaginary play. Like she, she can get excited about regular toys too but like i bought a vegetable steamer basket the other day and she was like in love with that thing yeah the vegetable steamer basket that's what she wanted to play with you know yeah so this is something they reference in the book but came from an earlier book earlier work he did with david rock that is like yeah these seven things so like good amount of sleep and they actually give you the number of hours they recommend for kids at each age um, I don't remember what time in, time in is, but it's probably just the opposite of downtime. Connecting time, physical time, focus time, which could even be like a puzzle or something like you're saying, but then just total free play time uh, is all yeah, necessary for a healthy mind. Yeah. So uh, thank you again, Kara, and uh, for everybody who's listening. This, was, this, this is my favorite book we've read so far. And I think you picked our next book. Have you, have you decided? Yes, it's called Listen by Patty Whipfler, who is the founder of Hand in Hand Parenting. Awesome. 
Well, I look forward to it. Anything to say before we uh, let everybody go this week? I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you guys for, um, for joining us for another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. Please do check out the book, The Yes Brain. I think it's, it just has so much promise for, for our kids and for us as parents. So I hope you guys all get a chance to read it. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.